Welcome to Sober Solutions. We are a weekly recovery podcast not affiliated with any particular 12-step or recovery program. However, you may hear us mention them. My name is Jason, and I'm an alcoholic and addict. My name is Chris, and I'm an alcoholic and addict. My name is Ben. I'm an alcoholic and addict. And welcome back to Sober Solutions Podcast. Tonight, we are recording episode six, and we're very excited to have our second guest this evening, uh, Louis C. from Philadelphia. Um, but before we get to talking with him, you know, Ben, how are you doing? I just want to check in from uh, from our conversation last week. Boys, wonderful to be back with you again. Truth be told, I, I don't really, I never really had an idea of what this would have looked like, um, you know, dealing with uh, the relapse of somebody very close to me. Um, but this has been a time where I've just turned to the program and, and I've done all the things that I've been told to do. Been in touch with my sponsor constantly throughout. You guys have been great, you know, checking in on me. And, and that's really, it, it's the work that I did from the beginning. And again, just taking the suggestions of those who've come before me of building a network, because these are the times that you need it. If, if this, something like this happened and I didn't have a group of friends that I, you know, guys that I consider brothers that, that I could turn to, if I didn't have a, a sponsor, if I wasn't strong in my program, I'm not sure what this would look like. But talking about it, being honest, sharing, sharing any part with anybody. It doesn't have to be your sponsor. It doesn't have to be at a meeting. It, it can be with friends. It can be at a meeting. You know, just sharing it. You know, Jason, you said this to me. It, sharing it takes the power away from that, the, the weight that something like this holds over me. So, and so, yeah, you know, it, and just one day at a time. That's good. Has it that's fully good. Uh, sunk in everything that's happened or are you still kind of in that first? Yeah. Stage? Yeah. It, it has sunk in because it's, you know, I knew it was, this was a part of it, uh, of recovery. It's not a part of it for everybody, but I knew it was a part or relapse was a part of recovery. And I've been strangely, at least I guess, I don't want to say strangely, I've been, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with it, to be totally honest. Like, th there, is no sh there is no shock and awe factor. There's no, like, oh, my goodness, how could this have happened? I know how this could happen because I've been in the rooms for a while now, and I've seen it. And, and it's like, you know, there's, this is just a part of, of recovery. And Jason, you put it really well last week that even if you don't experience relapse uh, individually, you know, you come into the rooms long enough, you're going to meet enough people, you will experience relapse in some form or fashion. So just kind of, you know, accepting and again, you know, turn, turn to the principles of my program and it's acceptance. It's acceptance for me. And, and that's been what's really, really kind of got me through this and, you know, no, no days off, you know haven't missed a meeting in, in that time just because, you know, I, I can't allow m my recovery to slip one bit because if I allow my recovery to slip at all, then I'm of no use to anybody at all. So that's, yeah, ben, that's I, what we're doing. I, I think that's great. And, you know, that's a real testament to how strong your program is. And, you know, regardless of if you follow AA, NA, CMA, CA, whatever program you're in, you know, I, I really see recovery as a as a group sport, you know, and 
um, the more people that we have to support us in the times that we're down, it's easier for us to keep going in, in these times that are really tough on us. So I, I really um, am glad that you had the support you needed. You got through it. Um, you know, I, I kind of want to ask our guest tonight, you know, Louie, have you had any type of relapse in, in your story? And you might get the, into this when we, when you talk about your story personally, but, you know, just to kind of put you on the spot, you know, what's, how's relapse kind of uh, impacted your recovery? Well, I had uh, my first initial relapse when I was in intensive outpatient therapy. Um, I originally came in there for a problem with crystal meth. And there are a bunch of alcoholics sitting around in a circle. And I'm just like, I'm just, I'm not like you. I'm just here to keep my job. I'm just here to quit for some meth. And uh, one faithful Halloween, I went out with a friend and we uh, wound up drinking at a gay club. And from then on, we wound up to cocaine. And then suddenly three days later, I was up still from having done crystal meth again. And I was like, wow, how did this happen? It began with drinking. So I'm like, I guess I really am like you guys. So at that point... (laughs) At that relapse, I admitted I was an alcoholic. Um, and I'm actually also just coming back from a relapse. I'm at day 88. Um, I had about mm-hmm. nine months before. Thank you. I had about nine months before. And um, that's, uh, you know, that relapse really hit home a lot. That's, that's great. something I actually struggle with is uh, the alcohol aspect. And I haven't drank uh, longer than I haven't done opiates, which is why I went to re- rehab. But... I can honestly still say I have a reservation about alcohol. Um, I haven't drank for a very long time, but I'm really, I even talked to my therapist about it tonight. And that's one thing I'm trying to kind of work past, but your story is very relatable. You know, it could start with alcohol and then turn to this and then you're doing whatever you were doing before. So it's definitely relatable. Yep. Absolutely. I know every time I would use other drugs, it always started with booze. Um, but, you know, let's get started with your story. Well, sure. Uh, well, hi, my name is Louis. I'm a recovering drug addict and alcoholic. Um, I was born and raised in Queens, New York City, to Ecuadorian parents. I grew up uh, from a first generation of immigrants that were here. I was one of four anchor babies. Um, I was the baby out of all four of them. Um, so growing up, uh, I was uh, already knew I was really different growing up just from um, feeling like that as a child. I was overweight and I was very artistic. And all the kids around me I felt were slimmer and always playing sports. Like Manhunt was very in when I was a kid and I dreaded Manhunt because it was just like too physical for me. I just like sketch um, um, underneath a tree. And um, uh, booze was always around my family. It was at every single gathering from a wake to a christening. <laughs> so uh, we used that all around the time. Um, I probably tasted my first beer when I was about maybe six or seven years old. My parents had me the little coronitas and they're like, oh, look, he's drinking a little tiny beer. It's so cute. Um, my uh, first drunk was when I was about 12 years old. Um, I had started drinking around that point to cope uh, the only way I knew how with the stuff that was going on around me, which included uh, childhood sexual abuse and also included being bullied for being overweight. So I had these things around me that um, were far too advanced for me to cope with appropriately and nobody around me really knew how to help me cope because I was a child of immigrant parents. You know, my 
my parents didn't didn't speak any English barely. So um, coping with those mechanisms kind of like traveled into my teen years um, until I uh, got into the scene when I was like 17 in New York. I was like the it kid going around um, to bars. I got a job go-go dancing. Um, I eventually ended up getting a lot of uh, free alcohol and free drugs to try to like fuel my addiction. Um, then by this point, I was about 18, 19, uh, my childhood sexual abuse came to light. Um, I had come to the cops about it and had told my family about it. And they were like, oh, we need to get you away from this situation. So we're going to uh, buy a house in Pennsylvania in the Philadelphia area and move over there. So that's how come I wound up here. Um, but here I was kind of just left to my own devices. <laughs> I really... Like, here's where my addiction continued taking off. Um, I got into the club scene here. I got a job at the club scene here. Um, I worked as a bar back um, while my ex-boyfriend worked as security. And um, it just kind of traveled from there. It just kept snowballing and snowballing through myriads of terrible relationships, broken friendships, um, until I finally got to the drug that progressed everything um, times 100, which is crystal meth. Um, I had used the drug to cope initially with my dad's passing. Um, my dad had end-stage kidney disease, so he was on dialysis three times a week. Um, he also had a stroke. He also had diabetes, so he died without his legs. I saw his legs get amputated one by one. And throughout this time, my uh, addiction into crystal meth spiraled. Um, and when he finally died, it just kind of like hit a really dark hole because at that same time when he died, I also uh, ended a polyamorous relationship. I was in a relationship with two men. So in one false swoop, I lost three men in my life and I was just left to cope with the unhealthy mechanisms that I learned as a kid, um, which is drugs and alcohol to just kind of disassociate basically was at the core of it. And um you know, I had gone to this point. Um, I was on this job that I was going to lose uh, again. You know, this is a track record for me. I had temp jobs that were temp to hire. And I told my friends that every day, you know, these jobs just didn't hire me, but they were really temp to hire. So I just called out too much. Um, and you know, uh, by this time, I was about to lose the job that I have now, which got me enrolled into intensive outpatient rehab. Because uh, I said enough's enough. I just, I, I really could not live my life like this anymore. At this point, my mom had come back from South America after taking care of my dad. Um, and I wasn't able to support her the way my dad did, being an addict. Um, so that along with the help of a friend, I got checked into intensive outpatient rehab where I went in being a crystal meth addict and I, I said to the group of drunks there, I'm not like you, you know, until one fateful Halloween, I drank and then I used again and I'm like, whoa, I guess I am like you. So it led me back into the, uh, led me into the rooms and where I met a uh, great sponsor, started getting into fellowship, I got in service and it felt like I had my life back again. Um, until about nine months in when I had my last relapse because I disconnected with my sponsor. Um, I used COVID as an excuse not to keep in touch with her. Uh, and I really just 
uh, went down a dark hole at that point too, because I was left alone to cope again with things that were present in my life again. And um, without that support, I just relapsed again. I'm coming back, I'm on 88 days, and this time around it feels different because I'm also on antidepressants, which really like, that's the drug I should have been on since the start. You know, they help level me out so much. Uh, my thoughts are organized. I'm able to work the steps with a new sponsor. And first and foremost, I'm able to just be 110% honest with everything that I'm doing, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know? And I live in uh, gratefulness every single day to balance what I call my body snatcher, which is my addicted side. My addicted side is my body snatcher because it listens to everything I'm saying. So my body snatcher lives in fear, jealousy, hate, and I balance it every day with being grateful and remembering where I came from and living in the joy of today. And this is how I got here. This is um, how I got to this podcast. So yeah, that's where I came from. And that's awesome, Louie. And congratulations on your 88 days. Um, that's really, really wonderful. Yeah, um, you know, you, you, you talked a little bit at the beginning about how you grew up as um, this kind of young artist, you know, a childhood artist, uh, you know, using that as a way to cope with other life situations. Um, tell us a little bit about how you use art in your recovery process. So um, I guess maybe I, told, I fibbed a little bit. I had art to cope with at that time, but it just wasn't enough to cope with what was going on at that time. Um, I channeled that through my recovery process because art was a major thing that my addiction took from me. And I feel like that's what I got back in my recovery. And I kind of use that as like my best weapon to kind of like visualize everything because we're all visual creatures. So we, what we see, we can interpret a lot better versus than hearing in a book, which by the way, I've been re reading the book with my sponsor. And when I go through it with sponsees, I'm like making little picture flashcards for them to read to next time. So I think that that would be a cool idea to take somebody through the steps. Um, but yeah, I think art is, is um, another sense that we can, that we can uh, activate through our recovery. You know, we have hearing, um, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if taste is one of them, <laughs> um, but visual definitely by reading and mental and, you know, um, uh, yeah, I just want to just use another sense for that. And art is a great way to channel that. When you say art, what, uh, what art are you focusing on? Like you said, I know there's visual, there's actual paintings, there's a uh, physical, you can dance, uh, there's audio, you could sing, uh, taste, you can cook. Um, what do you kind of focus on and how does that help you? Um, so I'm focusing on uh, what I call um, uh, sober art, sober art movement. I started a hashtag on Instagram called hashtag sober art. Um, I made a uh, sober art Instagram by the name sober art awakens. And it focuses mostly on visual art um, through drawing, or even if you record yourself dancing like through film um, or, you know, anything done by a sober person, it doesn't necessarily need to be about sobriety, but just something channeled through somebody's sobriety that carries their message out. Is there, is there any type of art that is bad? In my opinion, no. All art is valid, whether it be bad or not, because all art is um, subjective. What somebody thinks is good, somebody else might think is crappy. Um, and my tagline, I guess, or my motto, 
to get kind of people interested in my silver art movement is whether you can draw a stick figure or you know complex architecture drawing you know i'm here to just spread that message you know to be like this is was made by a person in a sober mind right you know and, and you know one other thing that i, I want to listen to your story and i really appreciated when i heard you say that you know you're coming back honest this time and that really struck a, a chord with me because honesty for an addict is not a character trait that we exhibit a lot that i don't exhibit a lot when i'm in active addiction but i shared a story the other day that th that honesty it's it's still missing sometimes in even the littlest ways and one of the examples i used was i never wanted to be left out so if somebody asked me if i watched game of thrones i automatically said yes because I did not want to be left out. And those are the things that I do as a sober person, and, and I'm finding myself that really getting honest, even about those little things, has been a, you know, an eye-opening experience for me. And so I just, you know, what, what does that look like for you? I, so the best thing that I can come up with with that statement is actually what my sponsor suggests, my new sponsor suggested uh, I practice my honesty, which is vulnerability. That I never had my first time around because I always said what people wanted to hear of me. And it was true at that time, but there wasn't enough vulnerability there to actually share the deep shit that was really going on underneath all that. So while it may have been true on the surface, um, my new sponsor brings out that vulnerability in me. Like she dares me to be vulnerable every day. That's amazing. Yeah, I can relate to that one. Being uh, kind of a chameleon in the world, right? Yeah, super. Yeah. That vulnerability is so hard for us too. You know, because at least for me, what I did was in my addiction, no matter what drug, including alcohol I was using, I was trying to build up this armor around me so that no one would really know who the real Jason was because I didn't even know who the real Jason was because Chris, like you said, I was trying to be that chameleon. And even in high school, I was part of the jock group. I was part of the theater kids. I was part of the group that never did any wrong or skipped school or, you know, got in trouble. I, and I didn't know who I was. And through this journey of recovery, I slowly but surely removed all of those pieces of armor to find out who I was. And there was no wonder why I didn't like myself because I didn't know who I was. And it took this, this journey of recovery for me to be able to do that. So that's that's what I heard about that from you, Louis, is, is really being able to be vulnerable with not just other people, but with ourselves too. And that vulnerability is strength. It, it's not a weakness, even though there are people out there that will take advantage of, of vulnerability. I think that for me, I have to be vulnerable in this program. And if I'm not, that's when I get that much closer to putting that armor back on. You know, right. I, I, to, I totally get you with the with the club scene. You know, um, I was I was a club kid. I, uh, I I think that you can take the kid out of the club, but you can't take the club out of the kid. Um, yeah. So, you know, I'm glad that you 
<laughs> I'm glad that you really uh, see, you know, dance as art and, and it doesn't have to be like, you know, anything like on, on stage or on, on any kind of professional setting, you know, just dancing around the house for me makes me get, joyous. Get your emotions out, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, dance, dance. I'm so bad at dancing, by the way. <laughs> Louie, you were talking about it when Jason's talking about kind of reminded me. I don't know if this was your drawing, but when Jason sent your uh, Instagram out, there was a drawing. It was like half you, half zombie. And it was like, yeah, it reminded me of that when you were saying, like, be honest with yourself and what's inside. And I don't know if you guys saw. Did you guys scroll through his pictures? I don't know. That one that one was really cool. It was like half of him and half of a zombie to the listeners and. If you get a chance, check out his Instagram. He's got really cool stuff. But that was probably my favorite drawing. Yes, because I'm a, you know, I'm uh, also admitting that both parts are me. There, I accept the zombie, you know, or the body snatcher, as I call it, as me. Like this part is of me, and I have to do a daily reprieve to kind of balance it both out. That's awesome. Um, I love that. I love that visual. I have that that visual in my head now. Um, because it's true. I mean, when I'm in active addiction, I'm like that body snatcher, like that zombie, like that Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Jekyll and, yeah. Yeah. Hyde. <laughs> totally. Totally. And and it's just completely different from who I am as a sober person. Um, Louie, my, my question to you now is, you know, as at 88 days, you know, someone who's had nine months before, someone who's going through the program again, um, what would be your piece of advice or something that you'd want to tell someone uh, who's in early recovery, you know, in their first year? What kind of things would you want them to know? For me, my best advice for somebody who's coming on early in the program, whether you're just coming back or whether you're just coming in for the first time at all, is honestly what I said before, you know, don't be afraid to be vulnerable because you're there to help yourself you know, uh, screw everybody else. This is your recovery. This is the way you're going to do it. But at the same time, take advice from people who have good time. You know, it's about finding that balance. And me as an addict, it was never enough. There was never a balance. So it's really a trial and error. Get yourself a sponsor who has the recovery, the kind of recovery you want, you know, and help and ask for help in finding that balance because there does need to be a balance there between being vulnerable and focusing on your journey and your recovery, while at the same time, listening to suggestions and doing them and putting the work in. Yeah, it's a, uh, you know, I, I, I think that that vulnerability thing that, you, that you, you're talking about, for me, that it went, and I don't know if it went away in rehab, but I definitely, being in a room of other addicts and knowing that I wasn't going to be judged for the first time in my life was probably the most freeing feeling I'd ever had. You know, and, the, and these guys won't know this because they, don't, they only know me from rehab, but I mean, I was an introvert. I didn't speak. I didn't, like, I, I was shy. I didn't talk. And I, well, never shut up in rehab. And that's true. Yeah. I mean, from the first day that you walked in there and we met you, Chris, when I were like, when we were leaving, I was like, is that really Ben? Like, <laughs> yeah. and then, you know, hearing you speak in a meeting or, you know, I'm sorry, I missed your, your first qualification, but 
just the thought of you doing that is like completely awesome for me. And it's it's only because I was in a room of addicts where I knew, again, where I could be vulnerable. And that's what any of the rooms are. There are people who have been there who have had to deal with getting vulnerable and getting honest with themselves. And, and Lou, it's a, it's a great point. And sometimes it is, you know, it's a, it's a little simple, but find a sponsor, follow the steps, do the work. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if uh, you're a person of color like me, it's so rare to like be in a room with somebody that looks like you. And for me, what that experience has taught me is also hang my ego at the door because I'm, I have a seat just like everybody else here. From Yale to jail, we all sit in the same chair. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's a great point. Yeah. Louis, can you expand on that a little bit for us? You know, being a person of color in recovery, you know, can you talk about some of the challenges? I know that, you know, this isn't uh, something that we were going to really talk about, but I think that's a great point that you made. You know, what's it, what's it like being a person of color in the rooms today? Being a person of color in the rooms can be challenging. I feel like it's also an extra layer to kind of get through to the good stuff, to the crunchy stuff in the middle, you know what I mean? Um, but I'm here to not just fight, but to also lead, to help other people who look like me that when they come into the room, they know it's a safe space, to also let them know that we too can recover if given the chance, you know? Um, and I'm just here to just, you know, lead the way. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, Louie, thank you so much for your time tonight. Uh, we would love to put your uh, Instagram up. I know that you sent me a link tree, so we'll be sure to put that out with the episode. Um, if you want to check it out and not uh, don't have the link for it, it is um, either hashtag sober art or on Instagram, sober art awakens. So Louie, thank you so much for your time tonight. Uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. For Thanks time. for having me. Thanks, Lou. Appreciate it, man. Wow, Louis was great, wasn't he? You know, yeah. I, I, the the ending where he was talking about being a person of color in the rooms, um, I just I just didn't think about that, and I'm glad that he's he brought that up a little bit too. I really never thought about that and how that's impactful to someone. You know, you go into these meetings, or I go, I should say, I go into these meetings thinking anyone in there is trying to get better, recover, work on themselves, but you never really think about how the, you know, socio or the, uh, the color of your skin affects your recovery. Right. And, and I, I thought it was interesting when he was talking at the beginning of his story about the abuse he suffered as a kid, because, you know, it, it's not just about people like drugs, people try drugs and people can't get off drugs. There, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of things that happen to an individual that, that get us to these places. And it takes time for them to go through those things. And, and yeah, like the challenges of, of, of you know, being homosexual and being a minority, like that's like, I've n I never even thought of it from a recovery aspect and, and the, the additional hurdles that, you, that, that I don't think anybody listening or anybody here needs to be explained how difficult recovery is on its own. So yeah, I mean, it was, that was a really, really eye-opening conversation for me. Yeah, on, on top of the fact that art in recovery is such an outlet. And, you know, 
I, I'm very left-brained. I'm very analytical. I can't even draw a stick figure. So, you know, I really appreciate people who can, you know, and, and it's, it's a fact. It's yeah. a fact. I, I just am not artistic at all. And to be able to hear how that is helping in someone's recovery really, really works. You know, one, yeah. one thing that I liked that um, happened when we were in rehab was they did try to incorporate art therapy. And at the time, I thought it was really yep. corny. Uh, we did two things that I remember. It was uh, like, pick your favorite song. We did that all the time, right? Pick your yeah. favorite yep. song, rotate. And then we also sat in a circle and like colored things in or you, you drew. And it wasn't necessarily the art or picking the song, but I think it was more about the camaraderie and you got to know people, whether it was through yeah. the music they chose or just sitting next to someone, being present, drawing and actually talking to them. Mm -hmm. I think that for me is what really helped in the recovery aspect. I was just talking about that experience that when... I forget which therapist it was. Yeah, it was an hour and a half where we colored and everybody wrote down the songs and we and and he played whatever song was put down there. And I remember walking out of there and we were all going, man, that was the like the best thing that we've done here yet. And I think for me it was, I don't even remember how long it was. I think it was, I think it was a double session. I think it might have been an hour and a half or two hours or something like that, of just being able to take your mind out of where we were. Yeah. And not in an escape. Not in an escape ism kind of way but in a devoting my we devoted ourselves to creating something yeah and and it was just a it was just a you know and i i i did, I, I enjoyed it at the time but i didn't fully appreciate it until i you know you talk to somebody like louie and you can really understand how the two worlds can can really mesh together and, and art can help you recover it's, yeah it helps it's you stay a beautiful present. thing it, it, it does. And honestly i mean when i would finish one of the coloring book pages you know i would feel like oh look what i did i want to put this on my fridge and for as silly as that is you know i mean i was able to accomplish something without drinking and drugging you know and get out of my head and do something that is a small menial task like making my bed i make my bed every morning now but i'm accomplished because i do that right out of the gate and just by coloring something from a coloring book it was it was satisfying. I'm Remember not gonna those lie. markers that my uh, mother sent? <laughs> oh yeah, it was like yeah. it's probably like a hundred dollars set of markers, like the fanciest oh, things I've ever seen in my life. And everyone, oh, everyone was went. like trying to get some. They're like, "Hey, can you I? You are very protective. Can I the green. The, you uh, are very protective. Oh. <laughs> oh my god, you were you were so, like somebody. Somebody didn't come back, and the cap wasn't on the right way. And it was like, oh boy, here we go. I still have, I still have my drawing, by the way. It's, a, it's, a, I still have my Seabrook folder. Nice. I got, of course you do. Yeah. <laughs> I got my lanyard too. Uh, well, we're not getting started on lanyards. No, we're not. No, we're no, not. That's, that's another. That's, that's another definitely a, a topic that we will not bring up on the show. It's on my fourth step. <laughs> <laughs> Well, boys, uh, thank you so much for your time tonight. Uh, it was great um, to hear about your creativity and your recovery. Um, and as always, tonight's episode is dedicated to the sick and suffering alcoholic and addict, especially the one who is going to pick up for the first time tonight. Have a great night, boys. Good night. Have a great one, boys. We appreciate your liking and subscribing to our podcast. 
if you liked what you heard today and would like to support our podcast, feel free to Venmo a dollar to our virtual basket at Sober Solutions Podcast. We want to hear from you too. If you have a comment, question, topic, or would like to come on the show, find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Sober Solutions Podcast. Or you can shoot us an email to SoberSolutionsPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show.